It is my privilege to invite you to today's sermon podcast. I have made the Apostle Paul's prayer request my own. When he states in Ephesians six nineteen, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, the words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. May today's sermon come alive to you and aid you in your understanding of God's plan for your life. Lord, thank you for this day. We are so glad, Father, to be in your house. Lord, I think of your word today. Uh, when, when your word says, the psalmist gives a testimony, I was so glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Lord, we're glad we're here. We're glad we're part of one another. And Lord, as we open your word today, we ask that you would just bless us, grow us, teach us, encourage us, guide us, teach us, lead us. Lord, you do all those things and more through your word. You even convict us. You restore us. You anoint us. So Lord, as we open your word today, bless us, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Okay, you may be seated. And uh, you just keep on going as the Spirit leads. Get out there and get your, get your picture taken, okay? Now, I, I have a confession for you. Uh, can I confess something for you? All right, so here's my confession. My confession is, when I first started uh, ministering, pastoring, uh, let's go back to 81 when I first took my first church in Southern California. Uh, in fact, we have so many Californians around here anymore. I'm tempted to say, you know, stand and greet each other, and while you're at it, why don't you ask them what part of California they're from? They're just everywhere, aren't they? How many, how many Californians here? Come on, put your hands up, confess your sin. I see that hand, see that hand. Come on, a bunch of liars out there. I know some of you are not, you're not telling the truth. I remember when I first started preaching, I spent way more time in the New Testament than I did the Old. Now, now hear me. I spent way more time in the New Testament than I did the Old. I did not value the Old Testament as much as I should. The longer I pastored, the more I realized I wasn't being, I wasn't being fair to the Word of God. Because the Bible includes both the Old and the New Testament. How, how many books are there? 66 books in the Old. How much of the Bible is the Old Testament? About two-thirds. About two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament. So, you know, when, you, when you, you read the Bible, if you don't value what is said in the Old Testament, just because it's not always that easy to understand, um, you're, you're missing a great blessing. In fact, I think one of, the greatest, one of the greatest realities of the Word of God is what, you know, Augustine, he had that famous statement that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. It's, it's hidden. So the, the, the message of the New Testament, it's, it's couched in the old, and it's kind of hidden. You got to look at it to find. You can't see the forest for the trees. You know what I mean? But in the new, he says, the Old Testament is revealed. When you look at the New Testament, everything that was said in the old, you go, aha, I should have had a V8, Right? Now I get what he was saying in the old. I see it because it's been revealed in the new. It's pretty cold. I, lo- I love what Augustine said about that. It's an- another interesting thing to me is uh, Jesus, when he was resurrected, his first conversation with two guys 
walking down a road to a little town called Emmaus. Some refer to the Emmaus Road. So Jesus now has been crucified, dead, buried. Three days later, he raises from the dead. And, he, and, and these guys are walking down the road, and they're talking about, whoa, dude, what was that? We knew Jesus was here. And, and then, then he died. And now they say that he's raised from the dead? Come on. And the next thing you know, as they're walking along this Emmaus Road, Jesus kind of sweeps in behind them. And when you read the story in Luke 24, you find out, that Jesus begins to explain to them everything that was fulfilled in the Old Testament through him. Jesus said, hey guys, don't you, don't you remember what it said about the prophets? In fact, in fact, I have it written down right here. Let me just read it to you. It's pretty cool. Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, How foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe Not to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? What Jesus is saying, the prophets have told us this is going to happen. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning him. And then a little later on in Luke 24, uh, Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. And, And... It's pretty incredible. This is verse 44. Jesus said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. To the Jewish leaders, (laughs) Jesus was a little harder on them. He said, oh, you, you guys are foolish. You diligently study the scriptures, he says that you might understand. You're the teachers, and you diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. Well, these are the Scriptures, he says, that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me. So so I'm just telling you, the Old Testament, when I look at it, 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 it never ceases to amaze me how spot on the Old Testament is in pointing forward to what God's going to do and is revealed now in the new. So, so I want to I go to the Old Testament this morning, and we're going to read one chapter. In fact, it's only nine verses, so we're going to read the whole chapter. But in this Old Testament chapter, you may not see what's going on until I explain it. But what's going on is, is Jesus. Because, you see, it doesn't matter where you read in the Bible, the old or the new. You cut those pages any place, and they're going to bleed the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God. Because all those stories and all those, all those feasts and the tabernacles, and the, 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 it's all about Jesus. This is God's story, and it's all about Jesus. And you're going to see that this morning in Joshua chapter 20, nine verses. <laughs> We're going to see the story of Jesus pop out alive. It's kind of concealed. It's hidden. But when you look at it deeply, you begin to see, whoa, God is pointing us forward to say, look it, I'm giving you an example of what's to come in the New Testament. So are you ready with me? We're going to read these nine verses in Joshua chapter 20. Just nine of them. So you ready to go? Here we go. Oh, please stand as we read the word of God. <clears throat> 
Chapter 20, verse 1. Now then the Lord God said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed you through Moses so that anyone who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. Now, hey, for us, this is kind of weird, isn't it? But this is what God told Moses to do while he was still living. Verse 4. When he flees to one of these cities, he's to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state his case before the elders of that city. And then they are to admit him into their city and give him a place to live with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they must not surrender the one accused because he killed his neighbor unintentionally and without malice or forethought. He is to stay in that city until he has stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then he may go back to his own home in the town from which he fled. So, here's what Joshua and the Israelites did. They set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Natali. Now, what's that word Natali remind you of? Isn't that an Isaiah's prophecy where the Messiah will be born? Shechem, in the hill country of Ephraim, same thing. In Kirith, Arba, which is Hebron. That's where Abraham and the patriarchs are buried to this day. In the hill country of Judah. And then on the east side of the Jordan of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the desert in the plateau of the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth and Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. And any of the Israelites or any alien living among them who killed someone accidentally, well, they could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. That's quite a chapter, isn't it, wouldn't you say? We're talking about murder and mayhem here. We're talking about intentional murder, and we're talking about unintentional manslaughter. It's all right there, but guess who it's about? It's about Jesus. Now, I'm going to show that to you. Lord, thank you again for your word. Hide your messenger behind the cross. May we see Jesus today and Jesus only. We have come to celebrate him. For he is the one who gives life, and he alone. And Lord, if anyone here this morning has not discovered him, or anyone who hears my voice across the internet wavelengths, Lord Jesus, may they hear you speak to them, and may they come to you and to new life and be rescued. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, kind of catch the picture here. Um, Moses, you all know Moses. God gave Moses the law. Moses, this great leader, he is dead. He's gone. And God has laid his hand upon Joshua. And 
and the tribes now, they have gone in and they possess the land of Canaan, the land that God promised. I'm going to send you to Canaan. We know about Canaan. Oh, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. It's the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. They are now there, just as God promised to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And times are good in the promised land. But they got to get busy doing what God told them to do. So there's much to be done. And in chapter 20, we see the story of part of what God told Moses to do, commanded Moses all the way back in Numbers, in, in Numbers chapter 35. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So the fourth book of law, in chapter 35, God tells Moses, Moses, I want you to get to work when you get in the promised land. I want you to establish some cities for a specific purpose. So now, Moses is dead. Joshua is in lead. And so they're to appoint six cities. Count them. One, two, three, four, five, six cities. Specifically designated as cities designed to be available to people who made a grave mistake. Have you ever known someone to make a grave mistake? Maybe you've made a grave mistake. And here it's an illegal thing. It's something that requires that there be penance and accountability even for the mistake. And you see the words here, intentional or unintentional. We've talked a little bit about this, how God sees the difference between murder and manslaughter. There's a difference between intent, killing someone on purpose, and accidentally killing someone. But someone has to pay for the blood that's been spilled. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, someone's got to remember the law. An eye for an eye, what's the rest of it say? A tooth for a tooth. So, So, And Jesus addresses this himself. You have heard it said in the law, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, love your enemies, right? Turn the other cheek. Give someone your cloak. Jesus is all about this, this thing that's going on right now. But, but let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, how would you feel if you accidentally killed someone? Well, most of us probably here today know someone who's accidentally killed someone. Accidents happen. I remember in my first church, a man about 30 years of age had a, had a nice little car, hot rod, and he was driving down a street, minding his own business, and a child ran out in front of the car. And that man to this day lives with the guilt of that. It wasn't his fault. It just happened. It's the reason we call them accidents. How would you feel if that was you? And then if that is you, I, I apologize for bringing up the pain because it's got to be terribly painful. But God's made it clear. There's a difference between murder and manslaughter. There's a difference between intentionally doing something and an accident. And so there's got to be some way to take care of this. And, and what we begin to see here is a, is a, 
a developing emotion in the heart of God about what you and I call justice. Y'all believe in justice? Sure you do. The United States is based upon a law that is supposed to be just. And if you look carefully in this chapter, you will see God's great sense of justice kicking into high gear because God's a just God. Isaiah says very plainly, God is a God of justice. And I, I got to admit to you, I, I've been taken back at times when I've read the scripture and I've seen how strongly God feels about justice. Now, you know, you, you and I, we don't, we don't always have a good feel for what's just or getting your just due. I mean, how many times have you been driving down the freeway? Yeah, you've been going a little faster. Someone passes you going 20 miles an hour faster and you get pulled over and get the ticket. Come on. I got some stories for you. And so do you. That's not right. He just passed me. Didn't you see him? Uh, Do you realize how fast you were going? I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about him. You understand. You get the ticket and you go, that's not right. That guy, how come he didn't pull him over? We've got this sense of justice too. But I'm telling you, when you read the scripture, it becomes very clear. God is so just. You, you, you begin to read he's the defender of every vulnerable person or people group in humanity. God cares about those who are marginalized, who are broken, uh, who are at risk, who are poverty stricken. He, he has this deep sense of justice. I mean, just a couple scriptures. Um, Psalm 19, or excuse me, Psalm 9, verse 16. The Lord is known by his justice. Just before that, in verse 8, he will govern his people in justice. I already told you, God, Isaiah says God is a God of justice. And it becomes clear. I mean, the psalmist says he's a father to the fatherless. That's the heart of God. Why? Because God is just and he knows that every child needs a father. So if there's a father missing, God steps up to the plate. He's a defender of widows. He loves justice according to Psalm 117. Psalm 28, 17. He makes, oh, and I love this verse. He makes justice the measuring line. (laughs) I get a picture of a plumb line that's straight. God measures justice that way. He's, he's all about justice. So it just seems to me, just seems to me, hey, Pastor Jason, I forgot to get a bottle of water. What do you think? You know, it's still August. It's hot, summertime. You know what I'm talking about, Pastor Jason? I love that guy. He's such a servant. He, he is such a servant. I've got to love him. You know, I've told you that theologically, I have to love him, right? But I don't have to like him. There's a difference between, it's like, it's like murder and manslaughter. You, you have to love him. You don't have to like him. But I like that boy. Now, you watch. I bet you he's going to do something funny when he comes in here. You, you just watch that guy. He's going to make something up. So, it just, I started to say, it just, it just goes to say that if God is a God of justice... And he's so passionate about justice. 
that maybe his people, hey, I told them that you were going to do something funny. You disappointed me, buddy. <laughs> Ron docked that from his salary. I was expecting something funny there. Love you, man. It just seems to me that if God is a God of justice and we are his people, you and I ought to be people of justice too, amen? We ought to care about justice. And God's made it known what, what, what that is. Micah, that 8th century prophet, think of it, hundreds of years before Jesus, he made this awesome statement about justice. He, he said, he, he said, God has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Micah 6.8. I have to pray about that verse on a continual basis. Because the reality is, I'm made that I want to judge people. Yoo-hoo. Am I talking to anybody out there? I want to judge people. When was the last time you judged someone by what they wore, what they drove, the house they lived in, the things they said, the way they walked, their age, the length of their hair, the rings in their ears and nose? Come on, come on. I'm being honest here. How many times have we judged people and God says, hey, he's already showed you what is good. What does he require? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. And if I say, God, forgive me, I'm not the judge. You know, in English, uh, justice means a right behavior or treatment. So you're going to treat somebody rightly. I have found that some people, I've got a couple daughters like this, have a very strong sense of justice. Um, you can see it in them. You know what I mean? You know someone like that? They, they, they just, they, they, they are so strong in, in believing what is right needs to be done. And I appreciate that so much. Um, now, I want to give you, I want to give you a new word this morning. Um, once in a while, I threw a word at you, at you and, uh, just because it's kind of fun. Uh, remember when we talked about Hesed? And Hesed? And we tried to say it like Jewish people do with a little bit of a chutzpah. So you you got you to gotta get the in there. So Hesed. You go Hesed. Remember that? Well, this morning I want to give you, I want to give you the word for, 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 um, for justice. It's, it's Mishpat. Now, you don't have to like that so much, but you got to spit a little bit. Mishpat. Okay. So, M-I-S-H-P-A-T, if you're trying to spell it. People always ask me, how do you spell that? Well, there it is. M-I-S-H, mish, just like it sounds, mishpat. Okay. Mishpat is the word for, for justice. And, and, and it's an important word in the Old Testament. You know how we know that? Remember, if something's important, it'll be repeated, right? How many times do you think mishpat is found in the Old Testament alone? Over 200 times, over 200 times, justice, and it basically means, means that you give people, you treat them equitably. You treat everyone the same, Re- regardless of their race, uh, their color, their creed, their, their status in life. 
You know, I hate to do this to you on a Sunday morning, but James, who I, I do my best not to ever read unless I have to, he just, James goes for the juggler, does he not? James says, hey, don't show favoritism or you sin. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Woohoo! When was the last time you showed favoritism to someone because of whatever? He says, you, you're a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And then he talks about if someone comes into the church and they're dressed all night, nice, you shouldn't treat them any better than someone who comes in as poverty-stricken. That's justice. Treating everyone the same, regardless of their social status, their race, their age, whoever. It's one thing I love about children. I love connecting with kids. I love to treat them as an adult. I love to tease them a little bit and just have a good time with them and, and kind of lift them up because they deserve it. And that's part of our role, by the way, in the church. As godly men, is to lift up the, the children, to, to, to encourage the widows, to, to bless those around us. But, but the, this mishpat, well, why don't you just say it and get it out? Mishpat, say it, mishpat. T- turn to somebody next to you so they can see your lips moving. Mishpat. Pastor Jason, I'm speaking to you too. Mishpat. Okay, all right. It has a little bit of a twist to it. It it also means giving people their just due. What is rightfully theirs. Uh, Let me put this in this this element. This last couple weeks, um, there have been two birthdays on the staff. One of them was Romy's. The other one was mine. So when we discovered that a couple of weeks ago, I asked Romy in our staff meeting, I said, Romy, uh, so uh, when was your birthday? And she told me, now you notice I didn't ask her how old she was. That's called wisdom right there, wisdom. I said, Romy, when is your birthday? She told me what date her birthday was. I said, oh, you were born before me. Romy, that means you're my elder. <laughs> Now, Romy doesn't take anything sitting down. But I also said to her, what that means is I have to respect you because you're older than me. That was due her. How many of you remember that as a young kid when you grew up? You were supposed to respect, say it with me, your elders. Yeah, that's mishpat. You give them their due, just desserts. You give them what's rightfully theirs. So there's a bit of twist to this, this understanding of justice in the Old Testament. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18, there's an example. Um, the priests of the tabernacle, they're, they're supposed to be, to be supported by a, a certain percentage of, of the people's income. And the support was known as the priest's mishpat. It was do them. So now you begin to understand. Everywhere you look in the Old Testament, I'm telling you, you you see it everywhere. There are several classes of people that kind of of blossom, you see. Now, don't go political on me. Do not go political. We're staying biblical here, okay? Taking care of the orphans. Watching over widows. These, these 
groups of people caring for the alien or the immigrant among you, attending to the poor, to the refugee, to the the elderly, the homeless. Something struck me one time I was in Africa. This was several years ago. We had just put a well in. And, and the guy that helped us with the wells, Chinsisi, you've seen his picture on, the, on our screen. I remembered him talking to the people, and it broke my heart. Because he's telling the people about the well and what it's going to do to provide, not just for their village, but for the villages around them. And he's instructing the kids and the people how to treat the well so it's not broken. Don't allow the children to play on it. It's not a play toy. This is to provide water, clean water for children. And then he talked about all the orphans in the church and how the church's responsibility was to gather the orphans and care for them. And if you do any research at all, you'll find out that the average African family, they've got several different children in their homes that don't belong to them. They might be a neighbor whose parents died of AIDS. They might be a, a, a child that, is a, that belonged to a, a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle, and they died or they were killed or they, they died early. And they take those children in. They gather the orphans. I still remember Chinsisi saying to all the people in the church, it's our responsibility to take care of these orphans. And I've been there, and I've seen hundreds of orphans who the church had gathered in, the church of the Nazarene, taken under their wing. That's what the Bible calls justice. You know why? Because it's their due. They have a right to be loved, protected, cared for. Mishpat, the justice of a society, according to the Bible, it's evaluated by how we treat people who might be unlike us or we don't understand, but we gather a heart of grace and care for others. And to not care for the widow, which, by the way, I've watched this church well. I I think you do well. You do a good job at caring for widows. Bless you. We have some widowers in the church. I've met a widower in the church. And, and, And I have a heart for him. I try to reach out to him and let him know I'm praying for him. I send him a text. Say, hey, man, I'm praying for you, brother. The brokenness of being all alone as a widow or a widower has got to be beyond my, mag- my greatest imagined pain. Can you imagine it? I, I haven't been there. But to not feel compassion for... Take, for instance, the lost children of our society. You know, I've, I've been here long enough with your staff now. O- over the, this last year or so... Um, I don't know how many times we've talked about human trafficking in the United States. And, and, and some of you are involved in it far more than I am in terms of trying to how to mitigate, how to take care of this ugly problem. We're getting ready to go to Africa, and, and part of our team members are talking about how they've literally seen human trafficking in our own neighborhood. We think it's over there. No, it's not. It's here. It's here. And if this does not break our hearts, we don't always know what to do. But if it doesn't break our heart for the marginalized of our society, God, help us. And and I often pray, God, give me this humble heart of compassion for people that I don't know, don't understand, 
But Lord, help me to see what I don't see, know what I should know, so I can do something that might make a difference in my world. And I know one man in our own congregation has accosted human traffickers in our own neighborhood. These people groups God cares about. And not to care is a violation of mispat or justice. And you must admit, it's strikingly how God seemed to be so concerned about people groups in our society. You know, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but um, when I pastored in, in Southern California, we were only 15 minutes from the border, and it wasn't unusual for a family who we would call illegal immigrants who were escaping something to wind up at the church looking for assistance. Now, I don't know what you do with that. I really don't know what you do with that. I don't want you to go political. I want you to think of the heart of God. How do you respond to a mom and a dad, two or three little children, and they're going, would you please help us? Well, I know what the law is. I know they're probably illegal. But for the life of me, I cannot turn them away. And I'd call people in the church, you got some sleeping bags, and I'd put them in an office in the church. I'd try to give them some food and give them some water because I don't understand what they're fleeing from. And I tend to be a fairly conservative Christian when it comes to politics. But I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about people that God loves. So does it break my heart? I don't know. I want to be a man who cares about people so deeply that when I see someone broken, it makes a difference in my own life. Can I get an amen out there? Now, I'm going to do this and then we're done. Um, These cities, what do you do with these cities? I mean, when you look at these cities, there's three of them east of the Jordan. There's three of them west of the Jordan. And if you look up on a map, they're up in the north, they're down in the south, and there's one in the middle. And some of them, I think, are so cool because some of these cities are named in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. Woo-hoo! Are, are, you, are you putting the numbers together on this? I'm telling you, God has micromanaged his word so much. He wants us to see. He's up to something. It's hidden in the Old Testament. It's going to be revealed in the New. But he's trying to tell us here. That, well, have you ever heard a song, There is a balm in Gilead? Have you ever heard that one? That soothes the weary soul. There is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. Reminds me of what Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. So these cities, you look at their names, you look at where their posture, where they are. And what you begin to realize is that um, uh, this is of God. Man is not doing this. God is telling Moses in, in Numbers 35, and now he tells Joshua, Joshua, don't forget what I told Moses in Numbers 35. You need to establish these cities because there will be times when people make a mistake, their lives will be at stake. By the law, they should be killed, but I want to make a way for them. Did you get that? They've done wrong, but they didn't mean to. Does that not remind you of grace a little bit? 
Reminds me of a God in the Old Testament that cares so much about people who have somehow caught in a, in a catch-22, a quagmire, if you will. They don't know what to do. What are they going to do? They're going to be killed for something they didn't mean to do. Their heart was not in it. They're probably more broken than anybody. What, well, what, what's, what's going to happen? Well, God made a way for them. And they're going to do what you and I would do. They're going to flee for the hills. And where do they go? They go to a city of refuge. That God designed. That he organized. And the, the reality is, the more you look at these cities of refuge, the more you see what God did in the New Testament now. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A weary land. A weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A refuge in the time storm. I'm telling you, church, wherever you look in the Old Testament, you see this man, God, man, Jesus, and a God of grace who's made a way. These cities had the power to save men's lives. So it is with Jesus. These cities were put on a hill high and lifted up so everybody could see it. So it is with Jesus. These hills had a sign. These cities had a sign at the path of their entry that said Miklat, which means refuge. Run to the refuge. I'm telling you, when you look at this chapter, you see Jesus anywhere and everywhere. And by the way, Um, These roads, they were never to be closed. These roads to the Mishpat refuge cities, you could never close them. They had to be open so anybody in trouble could be saved. Hallelujah. I love the Old Testament. When you begin to look, you see in Genesis, Jesus, he is the woman's offspring. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the atoning sacrifice. In Numbers, he's the bronze snake. In Deuteronomy, he's the promised prophet. In Joshua, he's the commander of the Lord's army. And here he is as a refuge for all people. The whole Old Testament In Judges, he's our deliverer. In Ruth, he's the heavenly kinsman redeemer. When you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Matthew, I've told you, it's a Jew writing, a a Jewish writer writing to Jews about a Jew. Jesus, in this gospel, he's Christ the king. In Mark, he's Christ the servant. In Luke, he's Christ the son of man. In John, he's Christ the son of God. In Acts, he's the one who is sitting and reigning. In Revelation, he's the, he's the king who's coming back. Jesus is in every book of the Bible. So it doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from, you can find him. Now, I think maybe I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but um, let me just say it again because it fits here so well. You know, um, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, 
that profession will lead you to Jesus. He's the bread of life, so the baker can find him. You think about it. He's the water of life, so a plumber can find him. He's the light of the world, so the electrician can find him. He's the cornerstone, so the architect can find him. He's the start of David, so the astronomer can find him. It doesn't matter what you do. He's the eternal life, so the biologist can find him. He's the hidden treasure, so a banker can find him. He's the great physician, so doctors and nurses can find him. He's a great teacher, so educators can find him. He's the lily of the valley, so florists can find him. He's the rock of ages, so geologists can find him. He's the true vine, so botanists can find him. Jesus is everywhere. He's the righteous one, so judges can find him. He's the pearl of great price, so jewelers can find him. He's wisdom, so philosophers can find him. He's the word, so actors can find him. He's the good shepherd, so farmers can find him. He's the Alpha and Omega, so scientists can find him. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, so royalty can find him. He's the way, so traffic directors can find him. He's the truth, so politicians can find him. (laughs) I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what vocation you go to, Jesus is already there. He's the resurrection, so morticians can find him. Need I say more? He's high and lifted up. Like a city of refuge. So anyone who needs Jesus is there. Hallelujah. That Jesus hung on a cross. High and lifted up. That whosoever will may come to him. And it doesn't matter how deep and dark your sin, how gone wrong you have become, he's a refuge in a weary land for you. He's no respecter of persons. And that's why you and I can come. I want to thank you for joining today's sermon podcast. You can find a copy of today's sermon as well as other sermons and the sermon outline from today on our church's website, www.mvcnaz.org. It is my prayer also that you will seek out a church home that recognizes the authority of the Bible.